tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. It's time for fun with scripture, so get your salt shakers handy, because you're going to have to take it with a grain of salt. But hey, we have fun. There, see, salt shaker. I got a big one here in the studio. All right, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. And, uh, well, let me, let me go through the, the overview of the, of the harebrained theory. First and second Samuel, I think are really, really important books in the Bible. You really gotta know them. I mean, they are so full of intense moral, uh, lessons. Uh, what? Samuel? Yeah. This is the story of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is important, theologically, historically, and all those others, those other allies. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where God said he would meet his people. And it was in Shiloh for almost four centuries, 300 and, I think it's 369 years. We talk about the first and second temple. There have been four temples. The Temple at Shiloh, the Temple of Solomon, the Temple of the Maccabees, and then the Temple of Herod, which was a complete takedown and rebuild of the Maccabee Temple. And at the center of this temple, a, a series of sort of concentric square courts and buildings, and you know, you, you went into the, the great open plaza, which Herod had built, and then you got into the sacred enclosure, which is the area that that Solomon had enclosed. And once you got into the sacred enclosure, only a, uh, an Israelite in the covenant could go in that. Once you got in that, you got into the court of the women, which any Israelite, male, female, could go in that court. It wasn't exclusive to women, it was, it was, but it was open to women. You could go up on a kind of balcony, if you were a woman, to look over into the court uh, of, of, of the men. And then you had the court of, of, the, the 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 Levites, and then you had the shrine itself, which was a building at the time of King Herod, about 12, 13 stories high. 
and it had storage chambers on the side. The front of it was plated with gold that shone so brightly in the morning sun that you could not look at it with the naked eye. And then beyond, through a heavy curtain, this curtain was, you know, this wasn't just sort of a flimsy veil. This was, this was a curtain that was inches thick. And it was a double curtain. You had to kind of walk between these two curtains. You couldn't pull them back. They're just too large and heavy. Beyond that was the Holy of Holies, and its floor was a stone floor, the threshing floor of Arona, a place where wheat had been prepared for grain. And that's pretty symbolic for us, too, to think that, that the Holy of Holies was a stone floor on which grain was crushed to make bread. Hmm. I feel a sermon coming on. And in the middle of this threshing floor, there is, and there is to this day, it's under the, the golden dome, the, the shrine, uh, the Dome of the Rock, which is not a mosque. It's a shrine. Uh, uh, there's something called uh, uh, the Al-Sakra, the, 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 the Jews called it the foundation stone, the Ebn Shatiyah. And this, this uh, foundation stone, it is thought, is where the Holy of Holies was built. And right in the center of it is a flattened area, exactly the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. We do not know when the Ark of the Covenant was lost, according to the books of Maccabees, which I would think was accurate. It was hidden in the mountains of Moab by Jeremiah, who was a priest, and some Levites, when the uh, uh, Babylonians finally uh, took Jerusalem. Now, all that said... The Ark of the Covenant, <clears throat> the temple is a symbol of the church. The Ark of the Covenant is a prefiguring of the Blessed Mother, who was the the bearer of God's presence in her pregnancy and in Christ's childhood, and, and even in his adulthood, she was faithful to him. So this is important, this Ark of the Covenant. Now, where am I going with this? Be patient. The Ark of the Covenant, we see in the relationship of Samuel, these have been the past readings for the past few days, in the, the Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh, and there was a priest named Eli who had two sons, uh, Pincus and Hophni, and they were cheating the people, and, and they were abusing women, and they were, you know, <laughs> interesting, financial and moral corruption. Hmm, who knew? The, the the and Eli did nothing about it. He didn't even reprove his sons for their immorality, and he knew all about it. So the um, uh, the this 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 war with the Philistines came on, and Hophni um, and Pincus brought the Ark of the Covenant out, knowing that God would never let them be defeated if they had the Ark of the Covenant there. They were defeated. The Ark was captured by the Philistines, <clears throat> but was miraculously returned to Israel because whenever they put it near one of their gods in one of their temples, the gods ended up falling over. The statues of the gods fell over. So they returned it to Israel, and that's where David comes in. Now, this is where, you see, Samuel was a prophet, a great prophet, but good old Samuel, he assumed his sons would take his place as judges of Israel. Even Samuel, this prophet of the Lord, had political ambitions for his kids. And the Lord and the people came up to him and said, we want a king like the other nations. And Samuel said, you don't want a king. He's going to treat you badly and take your taxes and make life miserable. Okay. Now, 
the Lord said, do what they want. It's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And so Saul is appointed king. Uh, and he's called, uh, he's this super macho, handsome, taller than everybody else. He's this great guy. So th- there we go. There's, there's, there's good old, uh, Saul. Well, David comes along and, and, well, people like him better than they like Saul. This is a problem. Um, Saul is very jealous of his throne and very careful about it. And that brings, well, let me, let me back up to my harebrained theory. After David becomes king, upon upon the demise of Saul, the rejection of Saul by God, which is what we're seeing today, he decides he's going to establish a neutral capital that is not part of any of the tribes of Israel. He's going to capture this Jebusite city, this Canaanite city, Jerusalem, uh, which they had failed to capture since the times of uh, of, of Joshua, four centuries before. Well... He's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which has been returned by the Philistines, into his new capital. It was just because he was so religious that he wanted to do this. No, I believe he did it for political reasons. So David started out misusing the Ark for his own purposes as badly as Hophni and Pincus were using it. And the Lord stopped him in his tracks. Uh, we'll see as we go along. Uh, how, how the Lord stopped him in his tracks. And David, being a man after God's own heart, was able to repent. And eventually the ark did get to Jerusalem. But David didn't build the temple. In fact, is when uh, David uh, wanted to build the temple, he told the prophet, I want to do this for the Lord. Uh, the prophet said, I've talked to the Lord. And the Lord says, go for it. This is great. Well, the Lord said, tell him not to do it. He's a man of blood tell him that his, his his successor will build the temple. He can accumulate the the resources, but his... And you know what David said to this prophet? Oh, if that's what the Lord wants. David, we'll learn over the coming weeks how David, who was a bit of a thug, <laughs> I won't go into it now, but David was really something, how he could be a man after God's own heart. But I think one of the important lessons for us is you can't use the things of God. Well, I, I, Father, can I have the Blessed Sacrament? Because I'm going on a trip and I want the Blessed Sacrament so I don't get in a car accident. Under no circumstances, under no circumstance are you to do that. The Blessed Sacrament isn't a talisman, and I've known people who've used it that way. This is not a, a an amulet that you wear around your neck, and it, it's not going to protect you the way you <laughs> think it is. In fact, as it may invite disaster to abuse the things of God, as we see in these passages from Scripture. That's why I'm saying these first, this first Samuel and second Samuel, they're very important books to the understanding of God's purpose in our life and how we're God's servants. God isn't our servant. All right, let's get to the <clears throat> actual reading. Oh, this, oh, I've talked so much. Oh, well, I'll just keep talking. Because this reading, 1 Samuel 15, 16 to 23, I think is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Let me say it again. 1 Samuel chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Are you kidding? <sighs> no, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of this. Okay, here we go. Saul had been told to put the Amalekites under the ban. In other words, every Amalekite was to be killed. Men, women, and children. Their cattle were to be killed. Cows, sheep, oxen, everything. Their goldfish were to be 
poured down the sewer. I don't, I'm making that part up. That's terrible. Why would God do that? Because this is, well, oh, I suppose I got to deal with this now. I remember hearing the story of a Chinese um, empress who, when the emperor had defeated his enemies, was going to eliminate them and even the children. And she said, why would you do this? These children are innocent. And the emperor summoned all the children of his enemies and said, if you are freed, what will you do? We'll grow up and we'll come back to kill you. You see, we don't think that way. But in the ancient world, you know, this idea of, of revenge uh, was huge. And, and uh, they said, well, children are innocent. Well, I remember being a child. I wasn't that innocent. Trust me. <laughs> I, I remember, I, seriously, when I was two years old, uh, I'm my, my grandmother, I was at almost three, I think, or I just turned three. This is one of my early memories. My, my grandmother passed away. We went to Detroit and I was so obnoxious on the first night of the wake, you know, running behind the curtains, behind the coffin kind of thing as a three-year-old will do. I remember being obnoxious and having a great time doing it. The second night of the wake, my parents were not going to bring me. And when I saw mom and dad put their coats and hats on, they, I realized I was being left behind with my cousins, Liz and uh, Janice. And, and I was flabbergasted. This is a three-year-old recently turned, possibly this two. I, I, I have to look at the date. I was outraged and I was going to make them pay. And I started howling. I can still remember my mother's face looking in the glass of the, of the door of the kitchen at my uncle's house. And she looked so, so sad. So, oh dear, poor little Richie. I was being horrible. I was going to make them pay. You know? Yeah. Children are innocent. This child wasn't. This child wasn't. The old man is, is slightly more innocent than the child, but not much. I think that, that, that we live in this illusory world sometimes, uh, regarding the innocence of, of human beings that, so the Amalekites were put under the ban. Solomon, or rather Saul, had no problem with the ban of the Amalekites. However, he spared King Agag and some of the best sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord in Gilgal, his, his capital. And the prophet comes up and he said, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. I'm taking the, the crown from you because you've disobeyed me. You have pounced on the spoil, thus displeasing the Lord. Saul answered Samuel, I did indeed obey the Lord. And I fulfilled the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag and I've destroyed Amalek under the ban. From the spoil, they took the best sheep and oxen to sacrifice here. But Sam, Samuel said, does the Lord so delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as an obedience to the command of the Lord? Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission than, than the fat of rams. For a sin like divination is rebellion and presumption is the crime of idolatry. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he too has rejected you as rulers, as ruler. But, but, but I did everything the Lord wanted and I was, I was going to complete the task here. Saul didn't know his own motivation. Saul thought, what a waste. I'm, I'm, I'm slaughtering all these Amalekites and nobody's going to see the glory of my 
military triumph. So I know I'll bring the king back and I'll, I'll, I'll obey the Lord, but I'll bring the king back to Gilgal and I'll, I'll bring, uh, the sheep and the best sheep and oxen and we'll have a big sacrifice and I'll cut off the king's head and it'll all be wonderful. In other words, Saul thought he was obeying the Lord, but he was using these things to aggrandize his own reputation. And the real tragedy of it, he probably really thought that he was obeying the Lord. Think about it. He thought he was obeying the Lord. He was too steeped in his own sin to recognize it as sin. And you know what happened next? He's rejected his king, and he says to the prophet Samuel, keep it under wraps till we, not now, not in front of the men. In other words, cover up. He was, he was, um, he was uh, worried more about his reputation than, than the dignity of the Lord, what the Lord had commanded. And we do this all the time. We are so conscious of, <laughs> do we look spiritual? God's not interested in if we look spiritual. He's interested in our being spiritual. This is a very, very hard lesson to learn. That's why I say that this First Samuel 15 is one of the most important chapters in Scripture. It's about purity of heart before the Lord. And this is not an easy thing to, um, to enter into. Uh, um, read it well that you'll see that Samuel thought he was, or Saul thought he was obeying the Lord, but he was just trying to use the things of God for his own, his own, uh, um, his own advantage. Like Hophni and Pincus, like King David, but David was capable of repenting, and like so many of us. It's, a, it's you know, how often have I told you that, that the prayer of the pagan is, Lord, give me what I want. The prayer of the believer is, Lord, teach me your ways. With that said, we're going to take a break. We'll come back and open the phones at 888-914-9149. If you have real estate or land you no longer need, consider the advantages of donating it to Relevant Radio. The process is easy and the tax advantages can be huge. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash property. Oh, yes. Well, you've got me off the track already, dear voice in my head. You know, in the current chaos, people have said to me, what's wrong with it if it's loving? Love is love. No, it's not. If someone comes up to you and says, well, this is, you know, it's just love about, you know, their fourth wife or their eighth concubine or concuboy, as I call the male version of the concubine. It's love, I, but I love them. Well, you love the other ones too, didn't you? Well, yeah, but then I stopped loving them. All right. I will concede your point if you can define love. Well, love love is when you love someone. No, can't define a word with the same word. Well, love is a feeling of attraction. That's what you think love is. 
gosh, I've had some really, really intense relationships with cheeseburgers. Um, well, you know what I mean. No, I don't know what you mean. Define, def- if you can def- really define love. All right, you define love. That's easy. That, that the Bible defines love when it says that greater love has no one than to die for your, your friend, your neighbor, your brother. So love is dying. Ah, oh, that's pretty grim. Is it even easier to understand? I won't say better, but an easier to understand definition that St. Thomas Aquinas gave. To love is to will the good of the other. So you think being in kind of a, you know, um, some young man is living with his girlfriend without benefit of, of any kind of piece of paper or ceremony because they love each other. Um, no, they don't love each other. They want gratification from one another or a sense of security. They don't love each other. If they loved each other, that is, if they willed, if one willed the good of the other, they would enter into a legally binding, unbreakable relationship. And if they were Catholic, they would enter into a sacramental relationship, hoping for the grace of God in their relationship. Do you understand what I'm driving at? Love, you know, love is not love. <laughs> you can't define it that way. And in the 60s, when that song was popular, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Well, we had plenty of what they defined as love, and it hasn't gotten us very far. You, you, the world does need love. Well-defined, established by Christ. Ah, that's just my thought. So when someone says, but I love him, I love her, define love. Tell me what love is. Well, I just, I want to be with them all the time. Well, now you do. Maybe in, maybe in a month you'll realize they aren't that much fun. Huh. <laughs> Think about it. Dear, I've stopped loving you. Well, in other words, oh, you've stopped willing her good? Think about it. When you say, when, when some husband says, says to a wife or a wife to a husband or anybody to anybody, um, I don't love you anymore. Oh, you stopped willing my good? You don't want my good anymore. Oh. Why did you decide that you didn't want want good for me, that you wanted bad for me? Well, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yes, it is. It is. All right, enough. Let's go to letters. Enough with the pontification. I sure do talk a lot. Well, I guess it's a talk show. Why not? All right, this is from Jim. The Holy Spirit and the Jews. I think the Jewish nation did not have a clear concept of the Blessed Trinity and the Holy Spirit. I may be wrong. Well, they didn't, they, they did not, okay, for us, we believe, because we believe Jesus taught us this, that God is, the oneness of God is a oneness of unity, of solidarity, as Pope John Paul, the great saint, said, that, that God is not a solitude, God is a solidarity. In other words, God is the perfect relationship, the perfect family. And, we believe that that God is three in one, perfect, so they're perfectly one, and perfectly three. What is a person? You know, I look at the word person, personare, um, and I, I've shared this before, you'll forgive me, that in the ancient world, you had to have a beautiful body and a beautiful voice to be an actor. If you had a f- the face like a goat, you'd be fine. Uh, because you, your face was covered with a mask. 
they used stock masks that the Greeks called prosopon uh, and the the Romans called personae. The the mask would would give it right away. Oh, that's Zeus. That's Hera. That's that's Achilles. That's Agamemnon. That it was you know he recognized the character right away. But the important thing about the mask and where it gets its Latin name personare, from which we get the word person, is there was a megaphone built into the mask so you could be heard up in the cheap seats. There was no amplification. The mask literally was personare, to make a sound through. That's what per is through, and sonare means to make a sound. Sona, it's sonogram. We have sonograms that, that actually use sound waves. So that's the idea, that uh, a person is someone who has a voice. A person is someone with whom you can enter into conversation. That's that's a person. Even people in comas are still persons because they have a voice. The child in the womb has a voice. Uh, your mother, you feel that kid kicking? Well, when the kid gets big enough, you can feel the kick. But that kid's kicking from the moment of conception and growing and speaking in that way. So a voice. Now, that said, the Israelites, better put than the Jews, did not think of the Holy Spirit as a speaking person. Um, that's true. And they still don't. Uh, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord, in other words, this kind of presence of God hovered over the waters kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> John the Baptist, I suspect, also did not think of the Holy Spirit as a person. Um, why do I think that? Because the scripture says elsewhere that the greatest born in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. So I would consider myself born into God's royal nature by my baptism. I'm born into the kingdom of God by my baptism. Though I've, I've, I've uh, not accepted that as fully as I should have in my life, I'm still a baptized believer. Now, in what sense can I possibly be greater than John the Baptist? I mean, I'm a devout coward and a very sinful man. John the Baptist, he was a brave man and no sinner. Well, I know something that John the Baptist didn't know. I know the cross. I've seen the cross. I understand the definition of love that Christ gave us on the cross by laying down his own life. John did not know the cross. He did not know the fruit of the cross, which is Pentecost, the resurrection of Pentecost. So I theorize that John the Baptist did not have the full awareness of, of, of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. But I may be wrong. So there. All right, let's go to another letter. I've got one here from, let's see here, where's this? Okay, I got lots of good ones here. All right, this one is, um, Okay, uh, I, I'm going to, uh, I want to comment on this. I may comment on this again tomorrow. I already dealt with it. The person who uh, uh, see, believes that if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence with God. you got to look at the language in that real precisely. But I, I think I'm going to make that the word of the day for tomorrow because I, I think it's an important thing. All right, let me get back to my list here. Okay. All right.
This is, I'm going to say something very difficult. And if you did what you think was, was, um, was the right thing, then, you know, don't beat yourself up on it, but don't do it again. My grandson was born and I was worried the parents would not get him baptized. So I baptized him in our bathroom sink while they were visiting. All these years, he was never baptized in a church. Recently, I asked the priest if this baptism counted for him because he's a grown man now. The priest said no. It was not valid because I didn't follow through it. No, <laughs> I disagree with the priest. Maybe he's wrong, right and I'm wrong. But if you poured water on the, that child and said, in, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that kid is baptized. This is not something you should do because you see baptism, like all the sacraments, is a covenant. A covenant is an oath to the death. You obliged him to a covenant oath about which he knows nothing and thus is unable to fulfill. There is the theory about the 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 paradise of the just, that if there are good and just people, they will go to heaven. They will not have the beatific, this is one theory, they will not have the beatific vision, but they will have a joyful and beautiful eternity. Maybe, I don't know, as I say, I've never been there. But a person who is baptized is held to a covenantal relationship, a much higher standard than people who are not baptized. Now, I don't know how this works. I'm sure that God in his love and mercy will uh, accommodate. But you see, when you baptize a child, you are holding that person to a covenant. Well, they're just a child. They didn't say yes to the covenant. Nearly church, whole families were baptized. And uh, the covenant is made. So... Um, that child was validly baptized, and personally, that kid's an adult, and I think you need to fess up. But they'll hate me. Yep, they may. Um, on the other hand, you may end up bringing that unbaptized child into a relationship with Christ. If he gets curious about what it means to be baptized... You know, maybe you can speak to him privately and ask him not to divulge your secret to his parents. But as far as I know, that is a uh, uh, a valid baptism. All right. Let me. That's a tough one. Okay. What time is it? Let me do one more. Let's see here. Let's see here. Oh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. Plenty of lines open. 888-914-9149. This is from Anthony. Questions about Jesus' beard. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh. It's a, it's a, it's a good question, but, you know, I, I don't know. Father Simon, I have an historical question about the holy images of Jesus, the Shroud of Turin, and grooming during Jesus' time. When I look at the Shroud, his beard appears to be fuller than in many of the depicted images of him. Were men able to trim beards during their time on earth? Would Jesus have trimmed his beard? 
Well, strictly speaking, you're not supposed to trim the corners of your beard. Um, the Jews, especially if they were strict observers, tended to grow rather long beards. Um, I don't know the exact restrictions. Modern Jews can shave because for some reason, uh, the scripture says you shall not cut the corners of your beard with a blade. Well, electric razors are not considered a blade. So you'll see a lot of clean-shaven Orthodox Jews because of electric razors. However, Jews customarily let their beards grow fairly, fairly long. Romans did not. So uh, I imagine that there was some some sort of dodge around a beard when it got down to your toes or wherever you didn't want it to be, but you didn't you didn't trim your beard as a fashion statement. I, I think that uh, uh, that that's pretty clear. So, um, yeah, the Shroud of Turin um, uh, would have had, if it's authentically the image of Christ, would have had a fuller beard. Very interestingly, there seem to be indications that Jesus wore his hair. Now, nobody, nobody get upset, but Jesus, seen, the man of the Shroud of Turin seems to have worn his hair in a ponytail in the back with side curls, with the sides left off. That's very Jewish. So, you know, I've seen, I've heard people who claimed that that's so. And when I look at the shroud, I think, yeah, it does kind of look like this. you got the, the payas, the side, the side locks. And then there's a clump of hair in back that seems to be a long, uh, a long, uh, a ponytail. But on the other hand, I don't know. I wasn't there. All right. Let's go one more just for the fun of it. Let's see. Hello, Father Simon. This is from Adelso. Is Catholic the only religion that deals with exorcism? No. No, no, we're not. In fact, is every religion traditionally deals with exorcism. Um, voodoo deals with exorcism. Uh, Judaism dealt with it. At the time of Christ, if you were a rabbi, it was expected you were an exorcist. Now the Ashkenazi, the northern Jews, do not, do not uh, practice exorcism. Uh, as far as I know, um, however, the Sephardi, the, the southern, you know, the Mediterranean Jews do, and I bet the Mizrahi, the Middle Eastern Jews do. Um, the, the, uh, in the ancient world, there were exorcists all over the place, and for a slight consideration, they would rid you of demonic curses. Of course, they probably got you into it deeper and thicker. But no, exorcism is a universal human phenomenon because the devil does go about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And it's best, as one says, don't do this at home. All right, that said, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And, um, um, oh, yes, call in at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. So Takes me back, you know, as a an aging hippie. 
I remember there were such heady days, and uh, we got to keep working at it. That uh, you know, I, I maybe I've shared with you one of the, the the reasons I spent much of my life with Puerto Rican people was they really have no color consciousness that I can figure out. You know that that everybody's got a black uncle or a white uncle, and uh, you know I think in some ways we're worse off now that. Um, we haven't lost in our society. We haven't lost uh, the the heritage of slavery, and I think one of the reasons was religious. That um, you know, in places like Brazil or Cuba or or Puerto Rico, that uh, if you were Catholic, you were Catholic. It wasn't about race so much as about faith, and uh, you know, and I think we need to keep that in 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 view. I, m- I remember. Uh, um, that uh, when I was in college, I brought a young woman home to meet my parents. It was before I made the decision to be a priest, of course. Um, and uh, she was uh, Asian. And my parents pulled me into the kitchen and said, Richard, is she Catholic? And I said, yes, she is. She's a welcome guest in our house. Um, that was that was the criteria, that we were united in faith and skin color or ethnicity was secondary at best. And uh, I think that, uh, I don't know, I don't know why we're getting in this sermon. Let's go to the word of the day. All right, Anna Maria sent me a, 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 a question. Uh, she asked me to explain between, uh, you know, the idea of expiation and, uh, and, and uh, come on, let me think of an English word, redemption. And I've spoken about salvation and redemption, but the word expiation is very interesting. It, it, in Greek, it's elasmos, but in Hebrew, it's, it's kapar, uh, from which we get the word uh, uh, yom kippur, that's the day of covering, in which your sins are covered. And uh, a kippah is, is the, the usual word for what most people call a yarmulke, the Jews I've known, the Orthodox Jews I know, call it a kippah, which means a, a head covering, that your sins are covered. That doesn't mean that they are, that they are forgiven or ended. That that expiation was was a a covering of sin so that it ceased to offend God. That's the idea. Of expiation to to cease to offend God. And, and thus not to incur his anger. That's, that's what expiation is. Now, salvation is to be snatched from imminent death. That's what salvation is, to be saved. But redemption? Redemption is fascinating. The Latin word is redeemere, and it reflects the, 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 mean, the Greek word. And what it means is to buy back. If you were caught, uh, if you were captured by brigands or pirates on the open sea or in war, uh, or, or had debts, extensive debts, you would be sold as a slave. And that, that's where Roman generals made their real money from, from slaves, uh, captured in war. And, uh, uh, if you're, if you were captured and were a wealthy Roman, your family had the means to do so, they would find where you were and buy you back and restore you to your position in the family. This happened to Julius Caesar. Uh, he uh, was captured by, by pirates in what is now Turkey. And these pirates just, they 
they have these wonderful hiding places along the Turkish coast. And um, they they allowed uh, Julius Caesar's servants to go back to Rome to gather a ransom. I think it was a ransom of a thousand talents, either silver, gold, a huge sum of money. And Julius Caesar was furious. And he said, a thousand talents? I'm worth ten. <laughs> and the servants, they said, all right, that's what you want. And he said, I'm going to come back and crucify all of you. And he was so intelligent, he was able to remember the way back into this hidden cove, and he crucified all of them and got into big trouble with the local governor because he crucified all these guys and not sold them as slaves and not given the governor his his share of the loot. So that's what redemption is, to be bought back and restored to the family. Uh that that's you know I, I always tell you that God God is is the perfect family as Saint John Paul the Great said God is the perfect family and our destiny is to become part of that relationship part of that family which is God not losing our own identities but being perfectly united with the Creator of all things that's redemption so you got propitiation which is an Old Testament thing we propitiate God's righteous anger. Our sins are covered, but in Christ, they're more than covered. They're forgiven. They're let go, and we're saved from eternal death. But then more than saved, we are redeemed. We are restored to that relationship to God that was intended for us at the beginning. So, Anna Maria, I hope that helps. There you go. Okay, let me, let me, I think, let's go, let's go to phones now. This is smart. Maxwell's smart. All right, let us go to uh, Carmelo. Carmelo from from uh, Redwood City in California. I've been there. How are you doing? What can I What can I do for you? I'm doing great, Father. Thank you for taking my Good. call, Father. You're today's, welcome. Uh, first reading of Samuel. Yes. Um, how a little bit of help on how do I answer uh, the non-believers that come in front of me and say, "How could you have a God like that that says fight against them?" until you exterminate them. And what I've heard is that they're, the, the, to, to reply to them, that they were so sinful that God wanted to exterminate them so that the Jewish people are not influenced by their sinful ways. Uh, which well, that's part of it. So I was looking for that's more. That's part of it. Uh, if you you can get more. That. I got more. I got more. That uh, I, yeah. I explained a little earlier about the 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 uh, revenge principle in the ancient world that that to allow the children to live would have been to invite future disaster. That wouldn't wash either. But the real thing is, they got what they wanted. That's what they wanted. They wanted their children killed because you see these were Canaanites and they practiced child sacrifice. God doesn't give us what we what we think we ask for he gives us what we're asking for the canaanites routinely sacrifice children and you know we see in the book of of uh, exodus uh, that that uh, pharaoh decided to kill the firstborn of of israel he decided to eliminate israel god's firstborn and he pronounced his own judgment on himself that what goes around comes around this is an inviolable law of God. We don't like it. But what we ask for, we get. Not what we think we ask for. You may not be satisfied with that, but life is not a sitcom. And if you kill your children, God says, if that's what you want, 
It's like the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin. <laughs> does that help at all? Yes, yes, it does. So the Amalekites w- were the same as the Canaanites, who were sacrificed. Yeah, they were one of the children. they were one of the Canaanite they were one of the Canaanite nationalities. Yes, there were all sorts of the different Canaanite oh. groups, and yes, they were they gotcha, they gotcha. had uh, yeah, and they had they had uh, done their best <laughs> in the times of the Exodus to exterminate the Jews. So you know, to exterminate Israel. Yes, goes around, comes around. That's why. Great, That's an inviolable so law of the much, kingdom. Father. Appreciate the help. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. All right, and and God was not going to allow the Jews, uh, Israel rather, to slip into that that barbaric custom of sacrificing their children, which they did. Uh, some of the kings of Israel oh. went over to Canaanite religion. Uh, the kings of of Judah went over to Israel religion, and they had shrines to uh, in the Gehenna. They had a shrine to to I think it was Moloch, uh, who ex- uh, who accepted children burned alive. It's just horrible. So, right, yeah, the, yes, there and comes I a to point thank where you for the gospel music that you uh, put oh. on a little bit it reminded me of my first time in a Baptist church in the middle of go. a double hitter in Oakland. <laughs> we peeked our heads into a Baptist church and being Catholics, we were going, "Oh my goodness, what is going on here?" <laughs> well, it's good music, and it it certainly does does get you moving. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Carmelo. God bless. I hope I've been a little help. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you're welcome. Let, let's go to Rose, who's calling in from Chicago. Rose, what can I do for you? Yes, thank you, Father, for taking my call. Um, I was wondering, Father. Uh, I was just reading a little bit, and I came across the word agnostic. I don't know. I'm probably not pronouncing right. Gnostic Gospels, mm-hmm, and I was yeah. wondering. I know some of. Um, I know Holy Mother Church does not. Um, you know, it rejects those Gospels, and yeah. we don't. You know, play them. But I know some yeah. of the Greek um, churches do pick up some of their readings. So I was wondering what's the difference, you know, between our Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yeah. and their. Mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written. Probably in the 50s A.D. I'm an early dater for those. Uh, Luke was certainly written before uh, 64 A.D., which is the latest possible date for the execution of Paul. And they they don't claim to be written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Everybody knew they were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The Gnostic Gospels, however, were written at least a century later, some even longer than that. They aren't Gospels. They're just collections of sayings of Jesus some of which may have been authentic, most of which were not. Uh, and the early church knew about them, and they said these are not written by the Holy Spirit, and they rejected them. So what's the difference? They're later. They claim apostolic authorship because they need to, uh, they need to do that because they weren't authored by apostles. And uh, the third thing, uh, well, also they, they tried to combine Greek and Eastern philosophy with with um, with Christian ideas, and it just didn't work. Does that explain it? Yes, Father. I have one more question, because um, to relent, I wanted to um, get the Navarro Bible. What is your opinion of mm-hmm. that Bible? Oh, it's ex- it's excellent. It's excellent. Oh, good. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I wasn't good. sure. Yes. I wanted to study no, it. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very good. Very good. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling in, Rose. God bless Thank you. Thank you, Father. And, uh, God bless you, too. And, all right. Let's go to Teresa. Teresa, who's calling in from Illinois. Are you with us, Teresa? I am, Father. Um, yes. As you know, you know, sometimes people change official prayers of the church. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, so I want to explain to somebody the difference between 
saying, hallowed be your name, and holy is your name. Oh, so I sure. wanted to hear from you, because there is a difference. Sure. So it, yeah, oh, there's a huge difference. Yeah. Hallowed is, is a verb, not an adjective. Holy, yeah, God's name is holy. Okay. Hallowed it means sanctified. And when a Jew talks about sanctifying the name of God, they mean dying because they're Jews. When you say hallowed, may your name be sanctified in me, you're volunteering for martyrdom. When you say holy is your name, you're just saying, yeah, your name is holy. I'll respect it. Hallowed is infinitely more. Uh, you know that uh, um, uh, bacon bacon and uh, egg breakfast, the the chicken is involved, the pig is committed. That's the difference. Does that make sense to you? So it's, uh, may your name be sanctified in me, and, and that means martyrdom. That, yeah. that implies that if you want to take my life, it's yours. When a Jew talks about sanctifying the name, which is a verb, it's an action. It means being killed because you're a Jew. Mm. It's a dedication Hallowed of the whole life. Well, hallowed means sanctified. In Latin, it's sanctificator. Okay. May your name be sanctified. Hallow is, a, is an Anglo-German word. But in, in the text of Scripture, uh, in Greek and, in, and then again in Latin, it means it's sanctified. Yeah. And, and okay. uh, hallowed is the English word for to sanctify. As in Abraham Lincoln said, we cannot hallow these grounds more than the men who have died here. That means to hallow. Point him to the Gettysburg Address. It's a powerful word, hallow. All right? Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. Good. All right. Joe from Los Angeles, what can I do for you? Good morning, Father. I'm curious who the last person God spoke to directly. I don't mean Jesus Christ, but I mean God like when he spoke to Adam and when he spoke to Moses. The last... The last... Well, the last prophet... Uh, who, who encapsulates the prophetic word would have been John the Baptist. He didn't understand the Trinity, so when he was spoken to, it was God. And, and uh, then Jesus revealed the Trinity, and we realized that God is three speakers, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it would have been John the Baptist. So I hope that helps, you, Joe. You know what I mean? The, okay, but you know what I mean, right, Father? The voice that, they, that the person would have heard, just like when Moses heard, God yeah. and Adam. No, John the Baptist. Yeah. John the Baptist. Oh. Yeah, and and okay. and be, oh, they're speaking of voices. <laughs> I hear music in my head, which means we're about to hear the voice of Drew. All right, don't go anywhere. Drew will will sum it all up and bring it all together. 